Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Matic. You guys can find me on Twitter, at Davis Matic. In this episode of the show, I am joined by, of course, my very good friend, Peter Overzet. The The NFL season has reached its crescendo, so it was right about time to check in with Pete, see how he's doing, see how we are all feeling after the, the end of the season and kind of get into the off-season discourse uh you know uh, all, all of the things that uh, that come up when we don't have fantasy football and the nfl to occupy our brains nfts twitter discourse all of that good stuff of course pete is uh one of the best in the industry and always enjoy talking to him so hope that you guys enjoy this if you want to support the show you can get bonus episodes on patreon.com slash takecast or you can just leave a rating or review on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts let's go ahead and get into the episode Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TakeCast, bringing, of course, in Mr. Overzet. We we haven't done one of these post-season since Pete was, um, you know, a, 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 I, you know, I think a celebrity out at the Super Bowl. You were one of the people walking the red carpet. You were next to like Timothy Chalamet leaving in your your private <laughs> yeah, jet right. after the game. That was uh, that was one of the. One of my favorite Super Bowl things was the the people showing the the private jet tracking of everyone leaving Los Angeles on Sunday night. Like that was uh that was a, that was enjoyable. Uh no, that was uh that was not me. I got to the airport uh incredibly early, uh flying uh economy with JetBlue. So yeah, no, you know, underdog I think had a good year, uh but not enough to uh to fly me first class out to the Super Bowl. Man of the people, man of the people, Peter, very unlike Jack Settlement, who just like goes to what most people in the Midwest assume is a giant city, which it is. Cleveland is a big city and Settlement is sending these tweets like small town America, really, really getting in the heart of it. And I'm just dying. I'm like, I'm like someone from someone from a town of 7000 people in Ohio is reading this and it's like Settlement's such an asshole. Well, no, the best part of that is that he went on Club Top Shot. And he's like, actually, there was hardly any restaurant options. He's like, there's only four good ones. It's like he immediately turned on the city. He's like, this is the best place I've ever lived. Then he went to the three best spots and was like, actually, this kind of sucks. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a it's an interesting time for us to be doing a show. Obviously, as uh, you know, glo- ge- geopolitical global tensions are are rising out there, and you know, our our biggest concerns are uh, our our illiquid JPEGs and and how they are reacting to it. Which is is it's we're so we're so far down. 
the fucking rabbit hole of of you know where millennial people like us are at in in terms of wealth when like I'm I'm checking my looks rare tokens this morning and like oh I wonder I wonder I wonder how they're doing how they're holding up through all of this tension like it's such a joke. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like it's the classic thing where you know this huge you know global event is happening. I think most people understand the gravitas of the situation and want to you know understand what's going on. You know whether that's sending thoughts and prayers, whether however that kind of manifests, and yet we're still fucking humans that ultimately uh, care about what how it relates to us and what's going on in our life. And I think that's always such a mind fuck, right? Too like sometimes I see these tweets from people and they're like, "Thoughts go out to Ukraine," and it's like you're just saying this because you want to get back to tweeting about what you want to tweet about, and you feel like you need to get this off to basically give you permission to start talking again. You wanna you wanna send you. You want to send one tweet about Vladimir Putin and, and Ukraine so that you can get back to tweeting fantasy football stats on February 24th, like obviously. Yeah, uh, I, I saw it. It does seem I, I know draft called it out uh, on Twitter yesterday, but it, it does seem like the fantasy football discourse uh, and even myself, like drafting best ball teams. I was not drafting best ball teams or at least even at the clip I am now last year at this time. I was like, I'll wait yeah. till the NFL draft and then then I'll dive in. And it just feels like for whatever reason, I don't know if it's content driven, boredom driven, but it's like all of us are just frothy um to talk about fantasy football way earlier than i ever remember oh i mean i it's underdog driven right i i think yeah. i i think i think just think the massive uh, the massive marketing push that they have done is is leading it um you know certainly i think uh buying for and and like like just rotor grinders in general and so much of the general conversation about fantasy football has turned to best ball now like i just i think i think like the the average conversation about fantasy football now is about best ball and roster construction and you know should you do this and like and and we're we're immediately starting to do the postmortem of the 2021 data already and being like well uh actually when you took josh allen you should only take one other quarterback or maybe you should have actually taken three and and which i i, I think is fine i don't know and and i mean you don't care about this but there's no baseball right now so some of the people who would maybe be grinding uh, like high stakes baseball drafts are not doing that because they're the, the season might not happen or might be shortened again, might, might get all fucked up. So I think that plays into it a little bit too. No, I agree with that. And I was thinking back to, I mean, and uh, I saw someone reference on Twitter, uh, the other day, it was like the great, you know, uh, wide receiver height battles of like 2014, 15. And that was when I was just starting to make content. Um, but it seemed like the conversations back then were much more centered around dynasty at this time of yeah. the year. And oh, like to time. your point with underdog and of course to pump my own bags, but I do think just because the drafting experience is so fun and slick on their app that it has just kind of pulled that conversation where it's like, who knows, maybe if my fantasy league or whoever had like this killer dynasty app that we all just loved being on, like maybe the conversation would be more centered around dynasty, but it's just like, this is the funnest place to play. It's like still the same reason people are talking about top shot, even when they're over flooding the market and there's all these issues, but it's like, well, it's still kind of like a fun UI to like hop in the queue and rip open a pack. And so like, this is what we're going to do with our time right now. Yeah, I mean, well, and and dynasty fantasy football is just so much more labor intensive, right? Like you gotta even even 
even in these best ball leagues that we play in, it is just it is just so much more labor intensive because you have to do trades, you got to do the rookie draft, you got to cut guys. You got, I mean, the, the the trading stuff is like the the amount of time I would spend on one fan, dynasty fantasy football trade with like an expected value of that time of like cents is you know it's it's like like I could I could knock out five best ball mania drafts in the time it takes me to like complete a trade with Michael Leone. Yeah, you have to, like, I will always, you know, my hometown dynasty league, I, I fire it up every year and it's fun. And I like having that one league where you do the transactions and it feels comfortable. But like outside of that, it's like, if it's not best ball dynasty, I'm just, I'm just not doing it. Uh, because like you said, it's just, I, I would do probably a, a really high stakes dynasty league that actually made me be invested in it, but it is really hard. Like I'm in some of these leagues that are a $40 buy-in and, and it's not even like buy-in shaming. It's just like getting your interest levels up to really yeah. grind those edges. It's, it's just hard to do because it is a huge time investment. And if it was like, maybe I should do like an FFPC dynasty league or something just where I feel like my grinding might be rewarded. Well, um, so Leone and I co-own a $1,200 team. And the problem you find with that, not that that one isn't so much like an energy thing or anyways, it's that the way those people play, they overvalue the running back so much. So of Surprise. course, Leone, Leone, well, Leone and I have this team with like, we got three, we have Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow and, and all these wide receivers, you know, we have, I don't even know. I think we have like Metcalf and Ridley and someone else really good, like more wide receivers than we can even start. And we traded uh our only starting running back chris carson at the beginning of the season we had no running backs right uh, obviously we have no running backs and someone offered us mark andrews for him it's like you have to do that trade right but we lit i mean we literally have no running backs like we have this whole we have kittle and mark andrews and tight end premium like and this is like fantasy douche no one cares but the point is is that at, at some point we're going to we're going to have this great theoretical roster that we pay $1200 for every year or eventually we're going to have to pay do a terrible value trade for a running back like we'll have to trade a first round pick for you know Ezekiel Elliott or someone useless just to have just to get some running back points so that's the problem with the FFPC leagues yeah no and i it it, it goes both ways too right because i'm in one of those super flex tight end premium dynasty quarantine leagues that we started uh yeah. with leone and co and i <laughs> i was i was pissed off about the group me i deleted that app off my phone so i'm not even in the group communications and then i i never even checked it so sometimes it swings too far in the other direction with best ball where now i just associate best ball with completely hands-off and in that league you actually do want to still kind of make some long-term moves but man i mean i don't know how you feel but like basically how I viewed all my managed leagues. I'd have like a bookmark folder yep. on my computer and it just felt like a chore. It was like, okay, open up the bookmark folder with all of these leagues. And it's like, yeah, I want to knock off the high stakes leagues here first. And then you're getting down to these $40 dynasty leagues or hundred dollar best ball leagues. And it's like, I just, I don't have the energy for this right now. No, I mean that, that's the, that's the exact same way that I do it. I mean, I, I literally, I have a, a folder and they're all, you know, listed in order and every once in a while for the dynasty teams, I'll go through all of them. I, I have, you know, Scott fish uh, is, is going to hate me for this, but I have abandoned some of them this off season. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not, I, I paid for them. So I paid for this year and I was like, just give it to somebody else. Like uh, uh, our, our buddy, John Bosch, who does the eliminator leagues. He, he like sent an email for one of these group dynasty leagues he did. And I was like, look, I'll, I, I'll pay 
but I just, I'm, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to be a good owner. I'm not going to be responding to any of the trade emails. I'm not going to be making waiver moves. Like you just got to replace me. And he did, which I think is a fine mental health step. Yeah, no, it, it, I think that's a good take for everyone. I, I had someone drop out of my dynasty league. It's like, th- there, there's no hard feelings. Like what, once you're done being motivated to play, just just drop out and uh, and make it better for everyone. It is a bummer that just the way dynasty kind of works and similar to, I guess you could say like peer-to-peer sports betting where it's kind of ripe for collusion because otherwise, how sick would it be? Like I would love, like if underdog launched a best ball dynasty tournament, like oh, that yeah. would that would be sick and where we actually got some top heavy prize pools and it could have a longer time horizon but i think the trading element which is pretty much necessary for any kind of dynasty league that's just so hard to you know make it provably fair i mean it would be it would be amazing if they launched like a two year best ball league or something with like added roster spots like uh and you wouldn't even have to do a rookie draft i mean maybe maybe you could inside the software that that might you know that might be too much with like but you could just you could just uh underdog could launch it and uh, the scoring accumulates for 2022 and 2023 and then it gets paid out then i imagine i imagine that's a that's um a very low rake atmosphere for them so probably not something that they are are really trying to go after but i mean i would play in that like i would play in that league format for sure I would love to see the DFS bros on tilt with, you know, first you locked up your money for a year and I said nothing. And now you're locking up your money for three years. <laughs> the, uh, I, I have not seen as much of the, um, the DFS Hardo anti best ball stuff recently. Like I, I remember like Ricky D had this tweet back in the day where he was like, um, He's like, imagine painstakingly crafting 150 lineups per hand for the Millie Maker, and then that process taking four months. That's literally what you're doing for Best Ball Mania. But I, I haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah, I think it's probably a combination of they just gave in because Best Ball Twitter became such a monstrosity. I mean, it really became DFS Twitter. But also, too, like, there's a the discrepancy with all this stuff, right? Is and you know, whether it is best ball drafts or whether it's even top shot, like we probably convince ourselves or a cohort of people convince themselves they have more of an edge than they actually do under just like the guise of entertainment. Like drafting best ball teams is fun. Ripping yeah. packs is fun. And the, even when you devote a ton of time to it, like we all know that your ROI on the time investment is not good but neither is bird watching, right? Like, so it's like, right. if it brings you joy. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's the thing. It's like when uh, you're getting mad about people talking about best ball draft. It's like, it's, it's literally just a hobby. No one is saying this is the best place to park your money for the next year. People would just legitimately have fun and view it as a great distraction. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you, if, if all you care about is like maximizing ROI, you should be playing like, and like NBA double ups on Yahoo or something. I don't know. It's like, it's like you talk about this all the time on your streams. It's like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have to play the spy every weekend on DraftKings. I would go, I would go do the, you know, I would go max enter the $10 tournament on Yahoo or whatever yeah. and grind out the guaranteed overlay, but it's just way more fun to not do that. Yeah, totally. And I, and I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive, right? Like I think sure. all of us in our group, you know, we like to, we're willing to have fun. We're willing to donk off some money to have fun, to bet, to gamble. 
And yet we also want to be smart, especially when we're scaling up our play or we're you're max entering BBM or you're playing in higher stakes single entry tournaments. Like we don't we don't want to we're not rich enough to just donk it off there. But I think we can contain multitudes and switch back and forth between like, yeah, we want to get it in good, but we also want to have fun. And I think that's like a worthy you know goal to aim for 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 most players. Yeah. And like also my brain is so broken via all of this stuff. Like, you know, via playing DFS since I was like 18 and playing in all these fantasy leagues that like if if a hobby doesn't have the ability to return any money, like if there is no element of speculation, it, it is way less fun, which is like, I don't know that that's definitely some hardcore brain broken thinking. And and that that, that is um I think that like applies to like society as a whole, because you know, all the glorification of like hustle culture, which I fucking hate but is like is like a really it's it's like the same thing dude that that's what i'm going through right now um and lauren and i are going on a a vacation a week from today so i'm excited to decompress but i'm also been you know just wrestling with that constantly because i've been just kind of taking it much easier like when you take all the dfs stuff i was doing off my plate it was like you know 15 to 16 hours of work um just right there alone uh off my plate maybe even more um And now it's like, you feel like you should be doing more, but it's also like you were going pedal to the metal for seven or eight months. And it's probably good to recharge yet. We constantly feel this need of, like you said, the hustle culture, Oh, you're going to, you know, be left behind or you're going to lose a step. Um, and so I'm, I'm constantly wrestling with those two things. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's like a big work from home thing too. Uh, regardless, I mean, regardless of if you're your own boss or if you, are working from home for a company like there's probably always something you could be doing there's probably always some work you could be getting ahead on and those wires really get crossed when you when you work from home because it's it's kind of hard to to log off and leave i mean what i mean i i guess one thing that is nice and and you probably have this too is like i don't do any work on my laptop at all it's all on my desktop and my office is on a separate floor than like the rest of our house so like I, when I do make that decision to be done, I don't like have to be like sitting in the living room, like looking at my computer, like, fuck, you should really get to some emails or whatever. Like yeah. I, I like that, like, that's just it. I'm the exact same way. I have my desktop. I, the only time I use my laptop is when I'm traveling. Like I took it to LA and I was writing the newsletter and stuff like that from that. But otherwise, if I'm home, I'm doing work at my computer. And then when I'm away from it, it's, I'm not, I'm not doing work. I think the one nice thing is I, and I've told you before I go to, I've been going to a lot of the noon time gym classes at my boxing gym. And it just forces me to get up in the middle of the day. And yeah. he started those when the pandemic started, he used to not have the, the lunchtime classes. And I love it. Cause it just breaks up my day. gives me a, an excuse to get up for my computer. You exercise. Um, and just also knowing I'm registered for the class versus if I just said, Oh, I'll go for a run at noon. Like I'm never doing that. Like I'm just going to blow right past it and stay at my desk. So it is that just having things that force you to, to get up because we have enough things going on. Like I, I could go the rest of my life without ever being bored. I could be up the next oh, yeah. 24 hours straight on my computer and have constant stimulus, constant things before I got bored. And so it's like, you really have to fight against that. Yeah, no, that, that is, that is a good, I mean, uh, that's, that's like, uh, that's kind of like a semi-popular thing now is like, you know, the value of being bored, the value of, of letting your mind, uh, not be, not be s- stimulated. Um, so 
I I think I think I told you about this, but this um this wager that Justin Freeman and I made. Uh, I saw I saw you guys talking about parameters, but I don't know if I heard about the finalized bet. So it's it's all booked. Anyone? Uh, I mean, not anyone. Obviously, it would have to be someone we know since there's money involved. Uh, but it's a it's a good idea if you're doing this. So basically, we did. It's like fantasy sports for improving yourself. So it's like it's very gamified. So there are point values for no liquid calories, point values for exercise, point values for steps, point values for fasting, uh, negative point values for like cheat meals, eating out, uh, making your bed, reading, meditating. Making like your that. bed is in there. Dude, I, yeah, that's, that's one. That's a what making your bed is one pointer, which I never used to do. I never before we started doing this, I I would just get up in the morning and just go. And I have to say, it is one of those things where it's like, all right, I did. I started my day. I did it. I made the bed. I, I'm a big make make your bed guy. That's where I, I, I'm i like a big straighten up guy. You know, it like if the yeah. pillows or, you know, whatever I like to go, it just like makes me feel accomplished. But yeah, you, you the mental health of just uh, tidying things up uh, goes a long way. Like a lot of times if I have a ton of work to do. I mentally can't get there until I straighten up the kitchen, throw in a yeah. load of laundry. And it's like, once all that clutter is taken care of now, now my brain can work. Also, I mean, it's a very real thing. The The human brain craves order in general, which is funny because my desk is such a fucking mess right now. I'm actually looking at my desk right now and it's just like, how many, what's, what's the most uh, half drank coffees you've ever had at your desk at one point? I see that goes back to me kind of being OCD with tidying up. Like I'll often come down in the morning and be like, oh yeah, you never put your coffee cup away from last night, but I'll never get to two. It'll, it'll always just be max one. Dude. So this wasn't, it wasn't this week, but it was last week. And, and I wasn't even really that busy. I must've just been having a bad, a bad mental health week, dude. I had five. So every day, of the week, every day, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, I had five coffee cups on my desk when I came down to, to, for my, to, to Monday this week. And I was like, you are such an asshole. Like what you like organize your life, dude, like get it together. My OCD wouldn't let, I, I would be like, I have to clean these up before I can do anything on my computer. Why well, I, I sort of give myself a pass because my office is uh it's like uh, we have a we have like a half finished basement so it's not like like I'm the 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 basement is just mine it's not super organized down here and so I'm just like what does it fucking matter if I have a, a coffee cup or two which is not I mean you know it, it could all be organized down here I could have a home I could have a gym set up down here like it could all be good but I'm just really lazy what yeah. can you do. Yeah, it is. It's it's funny too. I was, uh, and it's ironic that we're recording this um, right when I broke my streak. But since the end of the season, I had and I had told you about this last year. I had a good stretch going where I left my phone at my computer at night. So you finish up a show, whatever, done watching TV with Lauren. It's just like leave it down here. Just don't take it in the bedroom. And you know, reading before bed got in a really good habit. But last night we get off ship chasing, and of course, all the stuff uh, with Putin uh, invading Ukraine. And I was like, I need to go doom scroll upstairs. Like, I, it was like, just like hard. imagine not doom scrolling during. Yeah. Like, like I, I stayed up. I stayed up like an hour and a half past my bedtime last night. Just hardcore doom scrolling. Yeah, it was like almost impossible too. And and you're kind of asking yourself. Like for me, I had legitimately, I'd been on streams for three hours straight. So I, I legitimately wanted to catch up on the news and hear what was going, but then there's diminishing returns when you're constantly refreshing, you're trying to see if there's a new video you're trying to see. And that's when you enter 
the doom scrolling uh, portion. And then you notice that people are retweeting video game clips that aren't actually even missiles in being shot from Ukraine. And you're like, what the fuck am I even doing here? This is ridiculous. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that is, and that was like, uh, COVID stuff too, right? The, the doom scrolling, like dooms, I feel like, uh, March and April, 2020 is when, uh, doom scrolling as like a phrase entered into the, the lexicon, like, uh, people who are extremely online knew about doom scrolling, but like everyone was doom scrolling then just like all the bad news, all the, the shitty stuff happening in China, the George Floyd stuff, the protests, like it was just, it was just nothing but bad all the time. I know. And the thing though, is I think back to it and it's not even that different of even pre-internet for me. I, I remember, so in Colorado, I, my school was like 10 minutes away from when Columbine happened and I was in sixth grade and my mom picked me oh, up wow. and took me home. And we, I did, we did the doom scrolling version of TV and that we just like yeah. watched the Columbine coverage for like All 10 day. hours straight, just yeah. like nonstop. They're regurgitating the same stuff, no information, but it's like, you're almost paralyzed to it when it feels so massive and hits so close to home that it's like, it's hard. And it's how do you detach like getting information, staying informed with the diminishing returns of just watching that over and over? Yeah, because it feels like it, it feels insensitive to like log off and go live your life. You know, you're like, you're like, well, that's not the it's not the human thing to do. Just pretend like it's not happening. And then you you balance it at the same time with, well, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, what is my, what is my, what is my role in the larger, uh, you know, just dynamics of like society. And, you know, obviously it's, it's nothing. Everyone process it. Is it, uh, differently? And some people process it by arguing the semantics of time person of the year for 12 hours straight on Twitter. Davis, that conversation broke me. Not even you, but I was just like, what, why, like, how, how is this important? I felt, I felt that I did a good job of, of logging off during, and I was just like, well, if, if, uh, if those guys want to argue amongst themselves, they can't, I, I have noticed, um, the, the, uh, the, the no coiner brain broken people in my mentions have started to, to, that look just like lose a disconnect like the 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 no coiner people are having a tough time given all of the stuff that's happening in the world right now specific like and it's it's i don't know if this is because i'm looking for it or if i just wasn't educated about stuff like this before but the combination of the canadian trucker stuff and and the the exchanges telling everyone you know get your money onto a coin wallet and then uh now all the politicians talking about basically cutting Russia off from like the banking pipeline of the world via SWIFT. It's like, I, I feel like uh, financial and like the, the problem that crypto was created to solve is like at the forefront more than ever, but maybe that's a wrong read just because I, I actually know what that stuff is now. No, I, I definitely think um, that crypto stuff came to the forefront with the Canadian stuff. And even a lot of people who had, um, you know, hard anti-crypto takes have, come around and posted stuff like, you know, I, I see the value in this so much more than I ever did now that it's in, in our face, but it's like, this shit has been happening in Venezuela. It's been happening in all kinds of places, but I don't know, because it wasn't right next door to us. It well, I just find that real. I found that very distasteful, actually. Like there was some big right-wing blogger who did I saw, some- That's the one I think I'm referencing, yeah. So he did some post about like, oh, maybe Bitcoin is actually good. And it's like, bro, people have literally been telling you that that people are using Bitcoin and- south america and in africa for years and like you just didn't care 
that like that that is just very distasteful to me and uh i mean you know the the bitcoiners they like because i'm not one of these i'm not one of those people either but they're always like check your financial privilege bro but that actually is one of the spots where it's like maybe you should maybe you should check your financial privilege a little bit because it's a very real thing that's happening to literally millions of people in the world yeah yeah i don't know and like the the twitter stuff too it, it you know it's the same the things like a, a viral tweet or a viral engagement thing, it's either like a blazing hot take or just something is a little bit off in the tweet or something's just like yeah. slightly wrong or it's like universally known that that's slightly wrong. But then like some of these conversations, it's like people are just arguing with you over literal semantics. Like they know that it's complete, not good faith. They knew what point you're trying to make, but because they can get you with how you worded something or how, because you didn't have a fucking footnote to your tweet. Like, I'm just like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, it, I mean, my brain just melts reading some of these back and forth on Twitter. This is probably the most I have ever like hated being on Twitter in my life. Like the last, uh, and honestly, I think a huge part of it is, is NFTs because people hate NFTs as like a personality trait that's like a guy online now like you know how there are different types of like being online guy like team record in bio guy right guy who has guy who has washington football team eight and eight in their bio like like types of guys like hating nft guy is like a guy online now which is just ex is exhausting it almost is so binary at this point where it's like you yeah. either just gave in and like every, every day I'll still see someone new. I was like, Oh wow. You have an NFT as your profile picture. I didn't peg you. As yeah. An didn't NFT didn't peg you. Yeah. Or you just actually have to hate it. Like there's, there's no, just like I'm ambivalent to NFTs. Um, I think they're great for the people who are doing them. Not my thing. Like that doesn't exist. You're either like all in or you fucking hate them. No. And I have a, I have a hard time with this too. And I talked about this with, uh, with Brian, uh, a couple times, the, the last couple weeks of like, are we actually at a point in human history where we, it all does feel so extreme and more fractured or whatever, or does this actually happen all the time? Is this how people felt in like depression era, like depression era United States? Like did, did people back then feel like, uh you know the, the president is doing the right thing he's not doing the right thing it's this person's fault and like uh like i don't know like i have a hard time with that like does it just feel so bad because we're in it right now or is that just how humans have behaved historically yeah i think we're probably just whatever the object of our attention is changes you know with different generations but like the way we feel um it's probably as, as old as time. I bet like these patterns of behavior have been replicated over and over and over in different forms. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. So on NFTs, I mean, we're, we're, we're a year into it now, basically. I mean, we're with, but you know, Bales did his big, uh, victory lap on, on everyone and gave away the moment. So I guess that, that does mark here. Honestly, probably this is, I bet, Actually, I know it was a year anniversary of my Tyler Hero sale because I think it was February 22nd, if uh, if memory serves. Got to wow, be pretty was... close. Got to be pretty close to when you did the CryptoPunk video, too. Yeah, I'm trying to. That must have been. Yeah, because I think that was right before I went on my trip uh, late March. So, yeah, I think it was probably yeah. mid-March uh, last year. Yeah, it, it is. It is wild. Um 
coming up on these kind of milestones and being like, it, even when I was at the gym uh, earlier, I was like, I remember being at the gym at this time last year and running over to my phone in between sets to see if I had a top shot sell notification. Yeah. And I was like, thank God I've moved past this kind of dependency. Like I can't even go to the gym for an hour without checking my phone. I mean, it, it, it was bad. You don't check your phone at the gym. Well, so I go to like classes and that's what makes it even worse. So like I was sneaking off like for water breaks and checking my phone that's, where like the whole is class really is programmed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that is really good. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I, have you, have you had this experience where like, obviously you like NFTs, you own NFTs, you, you mint them, whatever, but you find NFT Twitter to be very distasteful. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like I've experienced the entire range of emotions on NFTs, right? Like the financial <laughs> highs, the financial lows, the community highs, like you, you're in club MGMI. We have a blast in there. It's a great, yeah, Google amazing. Um, but then you feel like the lows of it when prices are going down or there's infighting or what, whatever it no, is. I, like I love, I love club NGMI when the prices are down, everyone knows, everyone knows when number goes down that I'm going to come in to, to, to club yeah. NGMI and be like, yeah, boys, numbers down, but we don't care. Your timing is always perfect. And you're like, I'm, I'm big on like, I'll scroll up. Uh, if I haven't been in the chat for a while to like gauge the sentiment, Davis no. just comes in no. guns a blaze and I'm here guys. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 never, never scroll up. I, I will say my, my time spent in discords and, and things like that is, is basically done. Like I, I own the tokens I'm going to own. Um, I, I don't think I've, sp I, the last, token I spent ETH on was months ago was the, the smiles token. Um, but yeah, I just like, I, I, I liked, I like NFTs still, but I don't have the brain space. And I, I also am not one of these people that thinks that the, the profile pictures are like going to change the world and are you know, like uh, the metaverse is very close though. I think that the, the more interesting use cases for NFTs are like, gonna be like entrance into gated communities basically which is what i think i mean a lot of people have had that idea that's not a unique idea at all yeah i i've been getting and this isn't the first time anyone has made this comparison and i think even we've made the comparison but even just with what's going on in the world and seeing a lot of the nft market really start to pull back it's like i've been preparing myself mentally for the like ico bubble version of nfts and i even remember talking with uh dangy and some of the ngmi guys when we were spinning up that discord too and i even remember when top shot was pumping and i was doing like yeah. the the non-ironic not financial advice disclaimers knowing like the music will stop at some point and this will crash. And if you have not gotten your house in order or you have not mentally prepared for it, like you are going to be wrecked and you will be down bad in an unironic way. And I've just felt that creeping. And, uh, you know, this isn't me calling bottom here or whatever, but I'm just saying the time will come. I don't know what it will be, but I, it's once we reach max euphoria, um, there is a, an opposite reaction to that. And I do feel with a lot of this stuff, like we're, we're getting to that point. I mean, I, I have firmly believed this and said this forever that Bitcoin being even, even 30,000, Ethereum being 2000, right? I mean, those prices cannot sustain in a multi-year bear market at all, right? The, the idea that 
uh, you know, Luna has this insane market cap that that these NFT projects are creating tokens out of nowhere that have liquidity behind them. Like the idea that that looks rare would have any liquidity behind it in a true bear market when the the money the money printer stops is like it like there's gonna be so many people left holding. I mean, I'm gonna be left holding the bag at this point because I I have all these tokens that uh, are are literally gonna be worth zero dollars i mean at some point not and far be it for me to say when that point is going to be what's going to lead us there but yeah i mean it just it just feels as if the current overall crypto market is is the total house of cards right and the one thing though to not go full doom on it is there is a kernel and there's a nugget uh, within all of this that launched all of this that actually is very powerful and unique and will probably lead to lots more um you know groundbreaking technologies down the road like in the same oh, way no doubt like the ICOs were like this revelation of oh we can raise money and cut out you know being an accredited investor like that yeah. idea of raising money was like really powerful and now we see even more mature versions of that with DAOs. And then NFTs take that same concept and like, oh, this idea of galvanizing communities and, you know, returning value to investors, like that is a cool idea, but now it's been so bastardized and so overrun by scammers and and all of this stuff that it's like we've kind of lost that nugget and it does feel like we have to hit rock bottom for like the true, you know, people with good intentions to build like on these best ideas and not on the worst part of these ideas. Yeah, you're not going to have you're not going to have all but essentially all products in a market be uh you know high value and be full of integrity when there are so many billions of dollars at play and anyone can get it, right? I mean like uh De'Aaron De Fox, the NBA player just I just saw that rugged his NFT. He, he he just he just rugged a bunch of people for like uh 700 ETH or something like that and it's like I mean, what are you going to do? Like, that's the NFT space. I just saw that on Twitter for a half second today and wanted to look into that more because that's a, I mean, it's one thing for an Anon team to rug. Like, that's the whole point of being anonymous, right? Is you take the ETH and you bounce. Yeah. Uh, but we're talking about an extremely high profile individual Very with lots profile, at yeah. stake um, to where, like, I'm talking like, you know, uh, you know, the feds looking into like what happened to this if this becomes a big enough story so like i need to look into it more maybe i'm blowing it out of proportion but it looked pretty bad it, it the the optics of it were not good you're right i also don't know but i mean i just know the headline is darren fox rugged a bunch of people and and maybe that's true or maybe it's not i do think though again this is the this is the bad faith argumentative stuff where people are like well because kim kardashian was involved in some uh, Ethereum offshoot rug. That means that all cryptocurrency is bad and that everyone involved in the space is bad and a, a rube or whatever. And it's like, you know, uh, no one applies that logic to whatever they're in, right? So like a fantasy football writer wouldn't be like, oh, well, yeah, this one fantasy guy was a scammer or um, oh, who is that? Bobby Sylvester, like, because because one, because one fantasy writer was like uh, harassing women online. That means that all fantasy writers harass women online. And it, so it's it's totally, um, I mean, it, it is just one of those things that the bad faith crypto people, uh, they, they think that they think that everyone in crypto, you know, behaves that way and everyone is out to scam. And it's, uh, it's very disheartening. But I, I just, um, I don't know, I, I am at this, 
I don't know, maybe you, maybe you share this or whatever, but like Twitter has always kind of been a drain, but it's like, it's the worst it's ever been right now. Like I just, I genuinely don't like the app near as much as I used to. Yes, I agree with you, but I, I think, um, I think my relationship with Twitter is much more healthy. Oh, way different. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt. I, I sometimes have to force myself of like, uh, cause basically now I'll just use Twitter to promote links to shows like when yep. I'm live or the occasional joke. And I, I just, I truly loathe having conversations on there. I'll have conversations with you in person. I'll have conversations on a show. Like anytime, like when I see, you know, we're all arguing about diversification in best ball, like I have thoughts on it, but I'm like, I'll just talk about it on a show. Like that, that's an actual forum where we can have conversations and stuff like that. I mean, Twitter is just the worst possible forum. Nothing is accomplished, nuance, sarcasm, everything is lost. And it also like the way our brains work is like when I post on Twitter, then you spend time reading the replies, refreshing the notifications. Yeah. It sucks you in. And so I've kind of swung in the other direction where I'm like, I know if I don't post, I won't go look at my notifications and that. And so I'm actually trying to balance it because like, yeah, obviously posting is good for business. It's good to driving traffic, all that stuff. But it's also like at what cost? Uh, I mean, at the cost of your brain, right? Definitely. Yeah. Like, and it, I just, yeah, it's it, it's not good. It like, imagine like some of your, so like the, the you know, using the diversification in best ball, I bet everyone from that who kind of weighed in on that could probably get on a round table on a podcast and have a pretty interesting conversation about that topic. Cause it is an interesting conversation. Take your like new time news article conversation. Imagine you guys getting on a show to talk about that thread. There's nothing to fucking talk about. Like people are just arguing for the sake of arguing. Like there's not even an interesting discussion there. No, which, which comes down to the the people don't people don't like my people don't like my politics so they're gonna argue with whatever whatever political thing i have to say which yeah. you know which is like which sucks right because like brian and i don't hardly agree on anything yeah. right and we do these two-hour podcasts where brian's like you're an idiot or not but not even though brian's like this is what you maybe haven't thought about with your political philosophy and then i'm like no i have thought about it and you're wrong because of X, Y, and like, again, Brian and I don't agree on anything, but we can talk for, well, we agree on the one thing that we both think is important, right? Which is like, which is like that, I think that's like a huge bridge, right? So Brian and I are both crypto people, and I think you can be a crypto person and be under that bridge and, and, and still agree because uh, some people just don't think about money at all. Some people don't think about about the state's relationship to money. All I guess that's that's really what it's come down to, which is interesting. Let's talk about best ball diversification because I <laughs> I didn't I didn't well, I didn't weigh in on that conversation at all, and so I I have thoughts. But much like you, I was like I'm not going to jump in to Hayden and Bimefor's eighty uh, seventh tweet about <laughs> the matter. You know, uh, so I will floor, floor is yours. What what were your diversification thoughts during that? Yeah, I, I did talk about it a little bit on an episode with Splash Play, but yeah, I my thought on it is my macro thought is we're constantly looking for edges in best ball, same way in DFS, and there's different levers you can pull for for you know an edge. And we talk about like showdown, I feel like is a good example because it's like you can leave salary on the table. That's a way 
to pull a lever. You can roster the third string tight end that no one's going to play. That's a way yeah. to pull a lever. You can onslaught the underdog team. That's a way to pull a lever. So the same thing happens in best ball, right? Where structure going zero RB, that's a lever we can pull. Drafting a really unique guy in the 18th round that most of the field's not going to have. That's a lever. And then another lever is being overweight on a player you think is undervalued. But that presupposes that you're able to find players to consistently that yeah. are undervalued. And if your thesis is the underdog ADP is pretty efficient, which I am of the belief it is, I think it would be very rare for me to find a guy that I think is mispriced by, let's say, three to four rounds in a way that would dictate, if I thought a guy was off by three to four rounds, I would want to be over 50% overweight on that guy. But I don't, I don't know if I can identify a spot last year where I thought a guy was off by four rounds. So to me, it's like, in a vacuum, I think diversify or uh, not diversifying would be awesome because then you're on all this stuff that everyone else isn't on. But right. I don't actually think that's possible with how efficient these markets are. Well, it's it's one of those things where it's like you. It's very easy to do with the results, right? So it's like, oh yeah, dude. If I would have just taken Corderell Patterson on all these teams instead of taking, you know, Amari Rogers or 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 whoever then I would have been, I would have been made in the shade. I would have had a good ROI season. And it's just like we you're because we already overtrust our abilities to prognosticate. Like there, there is no way that taking like 40% of a guy in the 18th round can be good. Like, I don't care. Like, and obviously people would respond to that with, well, I took Darren Waller in the last round of all my leagues in 2018 and I'm a genius or I took Cordero Patterson or Randall Cobb, his rookie year or whoever, you know, you, you respond with that. But if you're left with, uh, I, I did this last year. Donovan Peoples Jones was my highest drafted wide receiver. I got, I think two, I think I got two spike weeks out of him. So we ended up being maybe a small win. I mean, but, but he didn't score any points in the playoffs at all. I think he might've, he might've even been hurt in, in the fantasy football playoffs or whatever. So uh, a, a horrible pick. And it's like, well, what if Donovan Peoples-Jones is Cordero Patterson? Like, no, I probably would have just been better off taking 40 different guys then instead of just taking a bunch of him. Yeah, and well, like one really good example of it is kind of uh, how I've been analyzing how I think in these early best ball drafts, and I see my confirmation display uh, or bias on full display because... I don't have like full takes on all of these plays. There's or players right now. There's so much in flux, right? With free agency, with depth charts, with the, with the draft, like so much can change. So some of these guys, I just don't have takes on some guys. I do have takes on, and I just keep drafting those same guys. It's like, I have a Jarek McKinnon thesis and I have a take on him. So when oh, let's hear name, it. Let's hear the Jarek McKinnon thesis. Oh, well, my, my Jarek McKinnon thing is that I know he's a free agent. I think it's most likely he resigns with the Chiefs. I think he's pretty valuable to the Chiefs. And I think there's a little bit of the Leonard Fournette-esque positive inertia from the previous year's playoffs and just being willing to bet against CH. And I think he's really cheap that I think he's one of the best kind of late round running back picks right now and that the market isn't like properly accounting for how well he played down the stretch. But my, my point in this analogy is that I've been drafting way too much Jarek McKinnon relative to his odds. And it's not right. because I think he's a smash. It's because there's confirmation bias. And he's one of the only guys I see that I actually have a strong take on that you, that you feel good about either way that you feel that you feel positively or negatively about. 
Exactly. And so it's yeah. like, I'm indifferent on another guy who might be just as good of a probability bet, but just because I feel something or know something, it's the same thing of like back when I first started playing fantasy sports, I would scan waiver wire columns and I would be only looking for names of guys on my team. I would want to read about yeah. guys already on my team. I wasn't trying to learn, you know, where's the next edge finding the uncover guy. I was like, tell me how great the guys I have on my team are. Which is, I mean, yeah, that is the, that is a pretty, a pretty dastardly thing. My, my thought would be, I actually think you would gain more of the lever points from getting really overweight on the close decisions in the early rounds, as opposed to like, uh, what, what Liam did, obviously, you know, you know, taking what 75% Gabe Davis or whatever. And, you know, good, good for him when we, I, I hope you enjoy your million dollars, bud. But for example, if you had taken a stance that Cooper Cup was the right guy out of Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, uh, DJ Moore, and there was one other wide receiver who went right there um, in the in the first round, you were smashing, or at uh, the fourth round, or if every time Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper, uh, or um, there was another wider, I keep forgetting, but uh, Keenan Allen. So yeah. it's Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson, and you said, you know what? I'm I'm out. I'm just taking Keenan Allen every single time here. You're you're smashing, which obviously again is is sort of um unrealistic because those are those picks are really important and you you you'd ruin your season. If you, if you if you had made the stance that Allen Robinson was the guy and you had 40% Allen Robinson, you're like locking in one of your worst fantasy years ever. Right. I was just talking about this with uh, Sean Siegel and Ben Gretsch on their Stealing Bananas podcast. But the way I was thinking about like diversification was in a perfect world, in just like a self-contained 14-week league or my you know bucket or pool in an underdog league, I'd actually like to have be overweight on guys because you're basically saying, I want to take this position. And I think over a 14-week time span, like I'm going to be right more often than not and i'll get to return the value on it but we yeah. know the way these tournaments are structured and with the advancing and how they all operate as single one week tournaments that there is so much randomness in variance that i'd actually in a perfect world would like to have overweight exposures for weeks one through 14 and then jumble up and diversify my exposures for the playoff weeks and it's like and and that's what's so weird in how you think about this is because i almost think of them as two different things that is, I mean, that that is very true, and that is one of the reasons why I would love, and I don't know if they would do this or not, but I brought it up to to Josh, but I would love if if Underdog did, you know, the classic Best Ball Mania 3 or whatever, and then they also did a cumulative points championship. Like, it could be smaller, could be 5 bucks, you know, or or a $25 with 100K to first instead of a, a million or whatever, but I would I would really enjoy the cumulative points format, I and I... I don't know. I mean, to me, that takes a little bit less randomness out of it, right? Where it's it's less about like, oh, you had to have this guy in week 17. And it was actually, no, you just had to have this guy. You had to have Cooper Cup, right? And the, the irony of that is all the people who push back against the super extreme hyper fragile draft strategies, whether that's zero RB or a true hyper fragile build, they would greatly benefit from that kind of format. Because it is the teams that are really pushing the edges to get really unique. So you actually give yourself a chance to win 
in week 17, when you not only need to make it there, but be different enough from the other 180 teams or however much it ends up being that you give yourself a shot at first, because it's not only just drafting the right players, but then you actually need to have uniqueness and leverage to take down the whole tournament, which then goes back to these really unique builds, which case it's like, if you don't like that style, I mean, you would love cumulative points or you would love playing self-contained 12 man leagues. That's where you can realize that edge more. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely true. And um, I mean, we are well. Where where do you see the the zero running back? What's I mean? What's even the right the at, at this stage? The, the discourse. <laughs> where where do you see the discourse headed this offseason? Honestly, I don't even know the team that that Liam won with. I don't know if it was a, a four running back team or a zero running back team or whatever. I think it was a hyper fragile. He had Jonathan Taylor. He had Aaron Jones on it. And I think a third guy, Damian Harris, he had in the mid range yeah. too. God, Norris love that. I bet. Uh, to answer your question, I, it's going to be the same fucking movie we watch every year. Like nothing will change. We will argue about this. And at the end of draft season, you know, Hayden and Leone and those guys will go look at the data and they'll be like, well, still don't have a big enough sample size of zero RB teams to actually know. Uh, like people will fucking talk about it all off season. It's still not actually draft true zero RB team. So whatever it's business is fucking usual. Are you going to be drafting true zero RB teams? Oh yeah, for sure. I, I do legitimately think, uh, I mean, I've had, I'm biased because I've had back-to-back top 10 finishes in underdog tournaments with true zero RB teams. I still think it's the path of least resistance for not sacrificing a ton of projected points, getting unique rosters. The team buying for, and I had in week 17, I was just talking with it with, with Gretchen Siegel. Didn't have Mark Andrews. Didn't have Jonathan Taylor. Didn't have Debo Samuel. Didn't have Cooper cup. Like literally every league winner didn't have Josh Allen, like not one of the top five or six most owned guys. And it was all there just because it had a unique structure. Um, And so I do, I mean, I I might even lean into it heavier this year just because so many of the other edges are evaporating. I mean, how many teams are going to be drafted as anchor or two running back starts this year? I mean, two two running back starts and then not taking another one until the ninth round or whatever. Like that's going to be what? 60% of people's drafts. It's probably going to be a hundred percent of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to be able to help myself. Um, and the, you know, the, the, the extra two rounds, I mean, one of those extra rounds is a quarterback, right? But then the other slot is probably for running backs in terms of the, the typical, like it's probably going to be three quarterbacks, five or six running backs, 10 wide receivers, two or three tight ends. Like that's going to be, that's what everyone's going to do now, but it'll be five running back instead of four running back is the hyper fragile. Yeah, it will be interesting. I mean, you know, you know, Herzig will probably run back hyper fragile and just tack on an extra wide receiver. The zero RB bros can tack on an extra running back dart. I will say just from a time investment standpoint, man, I feel those extra two rounds. Like I miss, I miss the 18 round, like the 18 round, like we were popping off some of those in 40 minutes and adding the two rounds, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I don't have takes on all the late players right now, but the extra two rounds feel like a chore. You just taking Sky Moore there every time? God, this Sky Moore bit is already out of control. He, he might actually be good, though, right? Yeah, he might be. I just I just was talking about him with uh, with Karen yesterday. A little bit of a uh, little bit of you know Janice vibes or or whatever. Oh, you know, they're true story. Jeff Janice sent me a DM yesterday. No way. Yeah, he did unsolicited. Uh, unsolicited he wanted me to do a layover of his official 40 
compared to I, I will even tell you I will Jeff if you're listening I'm sorry I'm I'm opening our DMs right now uh, comparing his 40 yard dash to DK Metcalf because he's faster his 40 was faster than DK Metcalf that's crazy no idea no idea where it came from but I was like you know what you I'll, man I'll I, did that. you ask him what he's up to these days well I know what he's up to and it's not he's, he's like just a working man these days yeah. you know I, I still think people would enjoy uh what what's jeff janice up to i bet he would i bet he would uh do the show he might not be a huge fan of my politics though i think he is uh i think he is uh kind of a, a conservative guy so he might he might not be super into it but you never he's been on the show once before you never know uh I, i'm having uh hopefully having the gal on who identified the DAO hacker, the Ethereum DAO hacker from 2016. No way. So, uh, I mean, I emailed her publicist and she said <laughs> that uh, that they'll, they'll probably do it. But I'm very, if no one's read that book yet, The Cryptopians, uh, that one, that one's in the I have not to me. read that one. I mean, it just, it just came out yesterday, so it's not even to my house yet. But Ooh, I need that, some, some books for my trip. This one looks like a fun one. Oh, yeah. But I mean, that is such an interesting story because that is exactly what bitcoin people said would happen with ethereum which is that they would roll it back but the funny thing is all the people who are all the nft bros all the people who have dot eth in their name or whatever these people don't were not even there they don't even remember they they just were they, that is so far outside of their experience and that is so funny to me that this basically the essential history of the ethereum blockchain is a, a you know unbeknownst to 90 percent of the people that use it yeah uh real quick i looked it up yeah laura shin she has a podcast too that i've listened to uh, unchained i believe yeah yeah oh yeah she's yeah. great um yeah, she is. yeah i mean you were talking about that a little bit with brian and it is kind of it's the perfect use case of you know why companies and a lot of even these DAOs they love you man well, I was just going to say that why it's so hard to start things from the very beginning is truly decentralized. And yeah. it, like even Yuri, um, who runs that organization, SuperDAO, was like, most of these DAOs start with some centralized kind of stuff. It's just, it's too messy to do. And so, I mean, Ethereum learned that the hard way. Like, right, you have your pie in the sky ideologies, but when shit hit this fan, the fan, are you like, we're just going to let this die? Or are we going to intervene because we think it has potential? And so it's like, yeah, you lose some of the decentralization, you know, ideologies, but at least you save the network. <laughs> and, and you know, the the Bitcoin bros would say, you should have let it die. You right, let of it course. Die. Oh, they would love if it died. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking this during the, the OpenSea hack or contract vulnerability or whatever that turned out to not be a vulnerability, but I was like, how big of an open sea vulnerability would it have to be for the ethereum foundation to even think about it and i don't even think it's possible anymore i i think that the nodes are are so decentralized now in ethereum that it wouldn't even be possible but i was just thinking like how big of an nft hack would it have to be for it to even be like a thing that was voted on in the protocol like would it would it have to be like every crypto punk and every ape was was sent to like a stolen address or would it just be like tough I think it would I think it would have to be um like a metamask exploit where it was like some kind of wallet or something that the majority of the population used 
right? Like if if MetaMask had an exploit, dude. If there was, if there, I can't believe you even just put that out into the universe. But <laughs> well, you if, asked me. You said no, no. But if there was, if there was a MetaMask vulnerability, I again, and obviously, you know, we would have to like ask Andy or someone who like really knew about this stuff. Like I, I don't even know if this would be possible anymore. But I, I actually do think that it, it seems from what people say that Ethereum is decentralized enough that like they, there wouldn't be anything that anyone could do. Like even if, even if Vitalik himself was like, no, I, I want to, I want to undo all of these MetaMask vulnerabilities or whatever. I, I don't, I don't think he would have the ability to do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's scary. I mean, the, the biggest thing about them, we were talking about it on club top shot too, is like, obviously you don't like seeing, anything with phishing scams and people losing money in nfts but it does serve the most important thing is like can we what can we take away from this and i definitely feel a little bit more vigilant i'm moving a little more slowly i'm not clicking links and verifying and collab landing quite as quickly as i yeah. was before and i i think that's a it's a good thing because we are like in nfts things move so quickly and if you don't buy this now and you don't sell yeah, this if you don't, now, if you don't, don't, if you don't mint if you don't fast gas you're fucked yeah um, and so I do just think that idea of like moving more slowly, um, is a very, very good lesson. It is, it, it is an extremely good lesson. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I would just, I would tell, just tell everyone to, and, and also, uh, guys in, in club and club NGMI have made this point, but that the, the ledger is like a little bit of a false safe haven because yeah. if you sign transactions from the ledger, it, it functions the same way that a MetaMask does. So uh, this is this is I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show before, but if you if you are actually rich off of crypto, if you if you were just one of these people who minted ten board apes and didn't paper hand them like soccer Dave or whatever, uh, I would I would tell you to set up a ledger that interacts with the internet on a laptop once, and then is never connected to the internet again to have basically to have a a crypto specific laptop that does not interact with the internet that, that i would um i would i would highly encourage that if you are actually yep. crypto rich that's um for my most valuable nfts now that i know i'm not touching i have um a hardware wallet but that i'm not signing i'm not doing anything it's like a true a true vault um yeah. and you know don't, what don't, yeah, don't mint up your ledger right and and maybe you miss a whitelist opportunity or some kind of drop but it's like who cares if um if that's the price of security <laughs> yeah i really hate the the whole whitelist thing now it's it's it seems shitty say i i don't like this is something i really don't like about about nfts is like just anything where you have to like grind whitelisting like what's the, what's the point what are we doing here like, what's the point of grinding dfs head-to-heads you know it's the same well, thing. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying there should be no grinding involved, but like make a game people have to play or something. Like don't yeah. don't have it be like talking in the Discord, right? Yeah, I mean you understand the the thought process behind whitelists is that you are rewarding your most active community members and not, not the rent seekers. The problem uh, is, is the grinders are rent seekers. Are rent seek and they'll rent seek hard. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. The, the, the real grinders, the real grinders will rent seek harder than people who like your shit. I mean, I, I think that people actually hated this, but I love the way Mechaverse did theirs. It's just a the random raffle. raffle. 
Yeah. Uh, but then people, that got botted and people created all kinds of different wallets to get yeah, in the raffle. Yeah. So in I, theory, honestly, the, the perfect it the perfect way to do this would actually be hyper centralized, and it was just the leader of the community going around and arbitrarily giving people whitelist based on what they were contributing in the Discord. Yeah. Like, oh, you're always in here. You're positive. You're helping people with resources. Yeah. Like, now you get it. Like, that would be the truly the best way to do it. Even when they say, like, get to level 10 in Discord, then everyone's just typing fucking GM in a channel for two hours. <laughs> that was, no, I did, I did that once. So I did, I did one grind, grind the whitelist Discord. And, and I was like, you know what? This is stupid. I'm never, I'm never doing this again. I mean, I can't talk shit about the whitelist because one of my, did did I tell you my story with the NGMI guys like found basically like 15 ETH for me in the couch cushions that I didn't know I had? No. So Pretty it was nice like one, one random, like last fall, it was the small, small brains on the treasure um, ecosystem. They had their whitelist and it was like draw small brain on a piece of paper, upload it to discord and you'll get put on the whitelist. So I did it just cause they were all doing it. And sure. um, I forgot about it. Oh, and then it went to Mint, whitelist. And I saw it was on a different network and that I was going to have to bridge money over to Arbitrum. And I was like, fuck this. Like, it was I'm, fun yeah. drawing the photo. I'm out. Then on New Year's Eve, I get tagged by uh, NQ and Tom Chambers in the Discord. And they're like, Pete, we just noticed you were on the whitelist and you submitted your wallet because they like went on a recovery mission from people from the Discord who had done it. And they're like, yeah, the floor for what you can redeem, two smoles and a piece of land is like 15 ETH right now. I was like, Lauren, we need to leave this New Year's Eve dinner party. I got to go right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I need to go home and find it. And so like, that is like why these guys are willing to grind the whitelist so hard is because like, you're going to eat oh, so yeah. much shit, but every once in a while you're going to get invisible friends and then it's going to open with like a 12 ETH floor. Um, so like, I get why it is attractive to grind, but man, oh, do you have to do I, some I don't mean, I don't mean to criticize anyone grinding. I would be far wealthier if I would, if I would commit to the grind. Yeah. Uh, also, there's also like a little bit of like, uh, if you if you actually believe in Bitcoin the way I do, you think you you think you're 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 going to be rich inevitably anyway, which is not helpful in the present because I could be more I could be more present rich if I was if I was willing to grind these NFT things harder. But I'm just like whatever. When I'm 60, I'm going to be, you know, an oligarch or <laughs> whatever anyway because I think uh, Bitcoin is going to go to X, Y, or Z, and that's it's, it's probably bad. It's probably why it's probably why uh all of the um all of the all the club mg my bros they're like bro bitcoin sucks um yeah i i feel like i kind of middle it like i don't go true grinder but if there's really low hanging fruit um or i've noticed too like if you hold certain nfts like those tend to get whitelisted more than others so like i have one of those lemon heads and i just have one of them but I like keep getting on whitelists just because you own that one thing. So I'll take the second to go collab land for that. But yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I've never done the true whitelist grind where you're just chatting in a random discord <laughs> trying to get <laughs> elevated. Like I was like, that that's a line that I have to draw it at. Yeah. Uh, all right. You got, you got anything else? No, man. Um, uh, yeah. A week from today, I will be on a plane and uh, definitely looking forward to, uh, to unplugging even more so. Oh, can't wait. I have a, I have a golf trip in like two months where I'll be out for four days and I am just, it's going to be the NFL draft will be done. Well, I'll be able to, I'll be able to, you know, be drafting best ball teams on the 18th green, which is what wow. it's really all when, about. When Davis Maddock bachelor party. 
that's it. That we're just taking. We're just doing. You're not. A, we're just I didn't get invited trip. to the bachelor party. You want to come? You are. We we have a huge like a like like a thirteen room house. You're, you're when, more than. When is it? I'm I'm more offended that I didn't get. How did I? How was I getting invited to the wedding that I can't go to, but not to the bachelor party, which I could potentially go to? It's the first weekend in May. Okay. Well, keep me posted. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, it's at a. It might be a little hard for you to get to. Like, there's probably not an airport super close to it. Like, you probably have to rent a car. Wait, wait. Where is it? Uh, Lake of the Ozarks. Oh, dude. I, I want to check out the Ozarks. God damn it, it's, Davis! Give are, me a proper invi invite. I will. I mean, yeah, you're 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 more than welcome. Well, I'll, I feel bad. I feel bad that I can't go to your wedding, uh, and but I would definitely uh, go to the bachelor party. Well, you know, it's all right. You have to be there. I told Zakari in that I did. I did um, team holdo with him the others morning, and I was like, "You're a fucking asshole. You're the reason Pete can't come to my wedding, bro." <laughs> I know. You two both <laughs> tell me the weddings on the same day. Are you? I'm like, God damn it um so yes I'm, I'm i'm in for the bachelor party beautiful all right well uh yeah you're you're in you're invited i'll have my uh my best man send you the uh all the all the information you need is, are, are, do we have any other online friends coming or is this all davis irl friends uh all davis irl friends we well, we, we should get we should get Corain, uh Corain? To come to... does Corain like to golf actually i don't know <laughs> I mean, we're not we're not just golfing. Like, we'll be we'll be hanging out. I really you know. uh, I don't mean to hijack it, but we we also need to invite Laird. Uh, I, I'm taking over the guest list for your bachelor. Uh, party. I mean, let, so I I that's funny you say that because I was gonna invite Laird, but I was like he doesn't want to come. He will. Like I was gonna invite I was gonna invite Laird to the wedding, but I was like he also doesn't want to come to that, and also he'll be at training camp. He'll come he'll come golf in the Ozarks. It sounds like a blast. My dude, my IRL buddies would be like they would lose their minds if Laird came. <laughs> All right, there we go. Well, we're gonna we're gonna make this happen. Let's let's fire up the. Uh, I'll get my uh, Apple burner phone and we'll we'll discuss logistics. Okay. Wow, sounds amazing. All right, uh, everyone, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.